So, we're in Kingdom Families. That's the title of our series currently. And the title of this morning's message is The Role of the Christian Wife. The Role of the Christian Wife. If you aren't a Christian wife, this doesn't apply to you. You may be a wonderful woman by the measurements of everyone around you, but this is in particular pointed toward those who are in Christ. If you are neither a wife nor a woman, listen and learn. You're coming next week. Yeah. Lori? The role of the Christian wife. Let me introduce the next week or two by saying this. The Bible teaches that God created man and woman. Amen? Adam and Eve. The Bible also teaches that he gave them roles and responsibilities, but the Bible, in addition to that, teaches us that these roles and responsibilities, while unique to the sexes, don't dictate their value. Whether greater or lesser, the Bible is clear. Men and women are equal in the eyes of God, their creator. And in God's providence and grace, this point is emphatically made in the Gospels, for example, like Luke, where women are often the example of what we ought to do. Or in the Gospel of John, where the first person to see the resurrected Savior, Jesus, was not one of the 12 disciples, but Mary Magdalene. In Paul's letters, too, he often recognizes women who participated by contributing to either him or to churches when it comes to ministry. There's no reason to think of women as second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. And there is no reason to think of women as second-class citizens in the membership of our church. Yet, in God's design, men and women, while equal and gifted and loved and redeemed by the same blood of Jesus Christ, still have roles and responsibilities to fulfill that are unique to them specifically. So, today, we're starting down the path of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. Before we do, however, let me set the table by saying this. It's my humble opinion, as a pastor and as a counselor, that most marriages and most families would be immediately repaired and redeemed if men focused on being biblical men according to God's design and women focused on being biblical women according to God's design. This will be shown to us starting this week, but over the next subsequent weeks. And this morning, as we, emphasis, we place the emphasis excuse me, on the role of Christian wives in particular. We're going to look at this text, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24, and extract from it two simple points, the teaching and the illustration. The teaching, which is found in verse 22, and the illustration, which is found in the subsequent verses. So, we are going to look at what Paul is saying 
what is meant by this idea of submission. But beyond that, we're also going to look at what it isn't saying. What isn't meant by this word and idea of submission. So, our first point, the teaching. Verse 22, if you look at the text again with your eyes as I look or as I read it out loud, God's word says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The scripture says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. As we always do, so we will do now. There are a few things worth noting in this text. First, I want you to notice that wives receive instruction in this pericope of church life and marriage and family. This section of scripture, wives receive instruction first. Before the husbands do, in verse 25. Before the kids do, in chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. And I think it's because ladies go first. Sure, I think there's some politeness there. But I also think, in my opinion, that there's another reason for this. And that reason is found in Genesis. I think Paul is echoing Genesis here. Now, if you're not familiar with your Bible, or if you're a little rusty with the book of Genesis, let me tell you the story. It begins with creation. God creates everything, and after every creative act that God performs, he says that it is what? It is good. God looks at his creation, he says it is good. And then he comes in chapter 2 to a point where we get this revelation of how God feels, for lack of a better word, what God pronounces over the reality of Adam's aloneness. And he says, it is not good that Adam is alone, and he creates for Adam his wife, who we know to be Eve. So in the creative order, we have Adam and we have Eve. We also have design in Genesis chapter 2. We have design while God created with an intention for his creation, we explicitly learn of God's intention for Adam and for Eve in Genesis 2. Eve was created, the scriptures tell us, literally from Adam to be one with him, to be loved by him, to spend her life next to him. She's called, quote, a helper fit for him. In the ESV. In the Good News Bible, it translates that verse like this that Eve is a suitable companion to help him. So there's design there. But then we reach Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, we have recorded what we refer to as the fall. The fall is that event that transpired when Adam and Eve sinned against God and consequently plunged humanity into sin and darkness and death and separation from God. That wasn't the original state, church. It was the result of sin when Eve was tempted by Satan and subsequently both Adam and Eve disobeyed God. There were consequences. Sure, one of those consequences was death. We all die because we all have been affected by sin by our parents, Adam and Eve, and are ourselves also guilty of sin. But what's more, 
Sin has twisted and perverted God's original design, and now what God gave to men and women has to be redeemed in Christ. And when the event took place in Genesis chapter 3, God spoke to Satan, God spoke to Eve, and then God spoke to Adam. And I think there's an echo to that rhythm in Genesis chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 5. First and foremost, the wives are addressed by the apostle. Now, there's a lot to unpack here, but the point that I want to address is this. Even though the fall and sin affected men, women, and their relationships and their love lives, God's design has not changed. God never said in the scriptures, well, you've ruined it now. Do whatever you want to do. We don't read a text that resembles that at all in any form or fashion. No, instead, God redeems us in Christ, and in his redemption, he also redeems manhood and womanhood and love and sex and marriage and everything that he intends for us to enjoy as men and women by his design. All things are reconciled in Christ. All things are redeemed in Christ. Not only relationships in general, but I would like to say marriage in particular. Second, I want you to note that the teaching itself, wives, submit to your own husbands. This command of submission is directed toward the wives. I'm sure you caught that. I probably don't need to remind you of it. I want to say this. This isn't a command that you're unfamiliar with. We've already covered this. We covered it last week when we talked about the foundation on which every single Christian, man, woman, or child, ought to be living their lives. We are taught in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21, that Christians are to live lives that are wise spirit-filled, and submissive. Those are our points from last week, and if you'd like to go back and listen to it, you can do that. But for now, remember that each and every Christian, whether they are a man, a woman, or a child, is to build their life on, one, on all three of those three points. Wisdom, fullness, and submission. Now, not for Christians in general, but for wives in particular, Paul again states this command, wives, submit to your own husbands. This is a recognition of God's divine design, his providence and plan, the culture of his creation. As we've already recognized, Eve was created with a purpose. Not to be a mindless slave, a, a talentless trophy wife, or as sometimes said in a snarky way, a, a barefoot and pregnant woman in the kitchen. Submission is less of a hierarchical idea where the wife has to listen to and obey her husband, the boss, and more of a loving complementarity where God has placed responsibility of the family on the man and given him a talented and intelligent and purposeful helper who is equal in value and importance 
and is perfectly suited to complement what God has called him to do. This is even more receivable, I think, when we look at the teaching more closely, which is the next point that I want to bring to your attention. Finally, wives are given this command to submit, but this command comes with specificity. Wives are spoken to first. They are told to submit, but not just in general. They are told to submit, Paul says, to their own husbands. Look at the text again, if you would, please. Chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. They aren't to submit to men in general. No one's wife in this room is to submit to me as a man in general the way that they submit to you as their husband. That is a role that they occupy with you specifically, that they do not occupy with any other man in the world. This is where we get things twisted a little bit sometimes. We take this verse that wives are to be submissive to their husbands and we relegate women to some second-class status within the kingdom of God when that is not what God is saying here. The Apostle Paul is telling us that all Christians are to be submissive one to another. But within a marriage, there is a specific role and responsibility for both the man and the woman, but that woman, let's call her Dimey, <laughs> only occupies that role for me. She occupies that role for no other man. And in turn, her husband, let's call him Joe, occupies his role for her for no other woman. I think it's important that we don't dilute this idea because it helps us understand that the gravitas of the command for women to submit to their own husbands is not a general principle that goes to women because of men. This is a design to God's creation for the wife and the husband. So what we can put together after this regarding a wife's submission to her husband is simply this, and I'm going to offer it to you this way. A wife's submission is a divine call for her to honor the husband's leadership of the marriage and the family by engaging in and using her God-given gifts for the good of the marriage and family. That's a lot, but I'm going to say it again. A wife's submission is a divine call. In other words, this is not a man-made precept. This is not something that some guy made up in 1436. This is based upon creation. A wife's submission is a divine call for her to honor her husband's leadership of the marriage and of the family, how does she do that? By engaging in and using her God-given gifts for the good of that marriage and that family. That's the teaching in general. Now, the teaching has also an illustration 
Now, if you're going to look with me at verses 23 and 24, I'll read them as you look at them with your eyes, and we'll get a picture from the Apostle Paul of how he illustrates this teaching. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Here we go. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, our second point, the illustration, which is found, as you already know, in verses 23 and 24, we get from the Apostle Paul, because every good teacher has good teachings that are illustrated so that the audience can better understand the point of the teaching. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Packs a little bit of a punch. Amen? No, I, I mean, are you, you, I lost you already. <laughs> you wrote me off already. Okay, I'll keep going. But this is what I want you to note. Paul introduces the illustration here in verse 22. As to the Lord. But as is true of all illustrations, say amen if you're listening, it's to help the point of cross. It isn't a making of statement of equivalency. Paul is not making, by use of this illustration with the husband and Jesus, he is not making a statement of equivalency, as we call it in philosophy. Jesus is not equal to your husband, and your husband is not Jesus. So let's not get this twisted. Every illustration breaks down somewhere. Paul is making a point to which we will get momentarily. But I want to introduce the illustration by saying, I am not Jesus. I will never be Jesus. I'm not even close to Jesus. In fact, I need Jesus as much as she does. And she needs Jesus as much as I do. Nevertheless, there are roles and responsibilities within the divine plan of God for our marriage. So I want to say that at the outset. The husband is not Jesus. We have an illustration here that we're not going to break down to the point of error. It's also worth saying that while wives are told to submit to their husbands, the word authority does not happen in this passage. It's nowhere in the text, in fact. The only authority, ladies, that your husband has is that authority which is a reflection of God's design for him in regards to marriage and the family. In other words, the real authority in my family is Jesus. I will answer to Jesus for my family. And my wife will answer to Jesus for the part that God has called her to play. Now, there is a role and a responsibility according to God's divine plan. But ultimately, the authority that I have, if there is any, taught in the scriptures for the husband, does not find its derivative in the husband. The husband only has the authority that God has leased to him in his plan. Paul continues his illustration. The husband is the head of the wife, 
even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and his, himself, its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything. In how much? Oh, yeah, yeah. In everything to their husbands. I want to deal with everything for a second, okay? Either a teaching is true or it is not. Stop playing. That's what Paul's saying. Paul will not allow you and me, he will not allow you as a man or you as a woman or you as a child to say, I agree with it up to this point. Either it is true or it is untrue. Either submission of the wife to the husband as the head of the home is part of God's design or it's not. If it's not part of God's design, there are other churches in the state that you can go to. In this church, we follow the word of God. That is not demeaning to women. It is a respect and an honor of the inspired and errant word of God. Now, we can wrestle and we can argue and we can do the debate tactic. But at the end of the day, the word of God says what it says. And in my opinion, what I think Paul is saying here when he says that wives should submit in everything to their husbands is this. You can't wiggle out of this, ladies. This is God's call and destiny on you as a wife, not as a woman of lesser value. We're past that. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about as a wife in the design of God's creation of marriage. So either the teaching is true and we honor it, or it's not true. But if it is true, then it is true not in some things, but in what? In all things, in everything. And since this is the case, that Jesus' headship is the illustration, what we can learn about marriage from the headship of Jesus Christ as it regards submission and headship, I think will be incredibly helpful. There's a beautiful text in another letter in the New Testament called Philippians. In Philippians chapter 2, I want to share with you a couple of verses, verses 5 through 7, that give us a beautiful picture of Jesus when it comes to his headship and submission. When Jesus was incarnate, that is, not in heaven, but having taken on flesh and living among us, he was submitting to the will of his Father for the salvation of the people of God. And of that situation historically, Paul writes these words. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, non-Christians don't think like this. If you're a Christian, this is how you ought to be thinking. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, which is to say he was the second person of the Trinity, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. There might be a typo in here. Yeah, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Okay, that's important. That's a typo. I'm going to be burned at a stake here by some of my friends if they see this online. What that line is saying is that Jesus did not feel compelled to, 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 to convince anyone that he was the second person of the Trinity. He was. I don't have to grasp at this. I am, Jesus said. So I got a double negative there. It was an accident. So the issue, I, I, this is not something I have to grasp at. But he emptied himself. How did he empty himself? By taking the form of a servant. 
Jesus never stopped being God, but he took upon himself the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. There's a lot of theology here in the book of Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, but essentially what we're learning is that Christ as the head of the church was also, say amen if you're listening, its servant. Did you get that? The head of the church who is our Savior, Jesus Christ, is also its servant. When the Father said, this is the plan of redemption, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three individual persons of the Trinity, one God yet three distinct persons, were in perfect agreement. The covenant there is perfect and unbroken. The Father had his plan, the Son executed his plan, and the Spirit of God applies that plan to all who believe by faith. But there are a number of things in regards to our marriage that we can learn with this idea of headship and submission. So before I lose you, let's get to the point. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, teach us a few things. Number one, they te- it teaches us that, number one, Jesus was humble. Jesus was humble. Secondly, it teaches us that in his humility, Jesus fulfilled his role. Talking about submission here, right? Jesus was humble. He submitted to the will of God. Secondly, He was humble to such an extent that that submission fulfilled a particular role, namely that he is the savior of the church. The spirit of God did not die on the cross. Friends, Jesus died on the cross. He occupied and performed to perfection his role. He loves and forgives and blesses and guides and draws his body, the church, to the Father. This is what Paul is saying. Wives, submit to the authority of Jesus and the headship of your husband as their husbands, Paul will say later on, lead like Jesus. Now we're going to get to the illustration of the leadership of Jesus maybe in two weeks. But what we're talking about today is not the leadership of Jesus, but the submission of Jesus in his leadership. Did you get that? So the example that we have here, finally, is that in his headship, Jesus serves the church. He is the church's savior, but also he serves the church. Since this is the case, let's talk briefly about what a wife's submission to her husband doesn't look like. Now, for the rest of the morning, I want to do a little bit of nuts and bolts work with you. We've exegeted the text here. We've talked about what it means. I've given you some illustrations of submission in the life of our Savior Jesus, who submitted to the Father and executed his role. Now I want to talk to you about some things that submission is not. Okay? First, Submission doesn't mean the tolerance of abuse. The church has been derelict in its duty for a long, long time in calling out and addressing masculine abuse toward women under the guise of submission. And that is not a biblical teaching. Submission is not the tolerance of abuse. If a husband is abusive toward his wife, whether emotionally, 
verbally or physically, he will sit down at a table with the deacons and me. That will not be tolerated in my church. I will not tolerate it in my church because if I do, I will have to answer to Jesus, and I don't care about you like I care about Jesus. I'm not afraid of you. I'm afraid of Jesus. You hear what I'm saying? Submission is not the tolerance of abuse. The word of God isn't commanding women to take it because submission. That's not the definition of the word. That's not what that's saying. That is a situation that requires attention. And you will never hear from me or any church that I lead that submission is the equivalent of the tolerance of abuse. That is not what God is saying. Secondly, submission doesn't mean the tolerance of neglect. If a husband neglects his wife, if he doesn't meet her psychological needs, if he doesn't meet her emotional needs, if he doesn't meet her physical needs, the word of God isn't commanding her to sit in the corner of the house and knit. When the word of God calls a wife to submit to her husband, it is not telling her to tolerate neglect. Remember the illustration that is being used. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And church, say amen if you're listening. Christ does not neglect his church. He loves her. He guides her. He satisfies her. He meets her where she is and takes her where she needs to go. He envelops her with grace and mercy. But there's more. And I got some amens out of that one, and I appreciate that. But I want to give to you the other side of the coin, ladies. Just because you're an agreeable person doesn't mean you're a submissive wife. You might not be argumentative. That doesn't mean you're submissive. Have you ever heard the term passive-aggressive? Have you ever heard the term manipulative? There are things that women can sometimes do that dishonor the calling of God in their life, although the things that they do cannot be superficially discerned. She's so sweet, she's so nice, and the husband's like, bro, I'm dying from the inside out. I'm melting on the inside. Just because you're agreeable doesn't mean you're submissive. To be submissive means that you are using your God-given talents and gifts 
for the blessing of your husband and your family, because in doing that, you honor your Savior, Jesus. That means sometimes you might be disagreeable. But there's something else I want to tell you. Just because you're indecisive and, and, and maybe you, you, you like to excuse yourself from the hard work of what it is to be a wife and a mother because he's the man of the house and he can make those decisions, that does not equate submission. Hear me when I say this. Submission is not the dereliction of duty. Those are not the same thing. To submit does not mean to be irresponsible because he's the man. That's not how it works. Be careful, ladies, that you don't set your husband up for failure because submission. Be careful that you don't set him up for an amount of stress that no man can bear alone because God gave him a wife to help him bear it because submission. That's not what God's calling you to do. God is calling you to be someone who contributes with their God-given gifts to their husband's life and to their family's life. Listen, God created you to be your husband's helper. There isn't anything in a marriage more unattractive than an unhelpful wife. That's not a wife, that's a girl. And girls are only attractive to men who still act like boys. Men don't want daughters. Men want partners. Amen, fellas? An equal to them as a woman who has a possession of her personhood and her gifts that can contribute to this everlasting relationship and covenant called marriage. Ladies, as a wife and as a mother, remember, first and foremost, that you're accountable to God for your marriage and your family, at least as much as it has to do with you. So I want to continue sharing some nuts and bolts with you and, and continue breaking down some of the practical aspects of what we're looking at because I know that sometimes it's not on you alone, right, ladies? You aren't in this marriage alone. So before I close, I want to say some practical things that I hope will help you, not only in the present but in the future, because the reality is the Bible gives us commands for the roles and responsibilities that men and women are to occupy. We see it in creation. We see it echoed in the book of Ephesians. We have these commands, but we don't have a laundry list of the way they work out. There's no list where Paul says, this is kind of how this looks. So the way it looks in my marriage with Dimey, or Dimey's marriage with me, depending on what day of the week it is, it might look different than your marriage. And that's perfectly okay. Because God is calling me as the man of my family to be the man of my family biblically. And God is calling her to be the woman of our family biblically. And that might look different 
in your family than it does in mine, but that's okay. Because there is no list in the New Testament that practically delineates how this teaching unfolds for any given house. So if it looks different for your house, but you're within the biblical boundaries, praise the Lord. Never try to make your family look like somebody else's family. That's a dangerous endeavor. So having said that, there are nevertheless, as we've mentioned, some standards that every man and every woman needs to fulfill. How it works out practically at your address, different story. But the standards for you and me are the same. Are we clear so far? So gathering some of those principles from the scriptures, whether they are implicit or explicit, let me share with you some some practical things. First, if you're an unmarried woman, let me pastor you for a minute. If you're an unmarried woman, here are some points that I want to share with you. Before you can be a godly wife, you have to be a godly woman. Before you can be a godly wife, you have to be a godly woman. Being a wife is not a replacement prize for your lack of faith in Jesus. This is not a concession where you stink at being a Christian, so you're going to get married and see if this guy makes up for your lack of faith. His faith won't redeem you. I don't care how amazing he is. His faith won't sustain you. I don't care how amazing he is. Your faith does that. And if you want to be a godly wife, first, you got to be a godly woman. That's the priority. Here's another thing I want to share with you. If he doesn't pursue you now, he's not going to pursue you after the vows. Think long and hard. I'm going to say this, and it might hurt some of your feelings. They don't make men like they used to. Thank you very much. Men want to lay down, and they want the women to flock to them today. That's not biblical. That's how the world works. Don't Snapchat some girl. Don't DM some girl. Buck up and go speak to her. If some boy is talking to you that way, he is not the man. If he will not pursue you now, he will be even more lazy after he has you. And in conjunction with that, let me tell you, cohabitation doesn't work. We're going to try it out. Don't bother. Less than 10% of couples that cohabitate don't make it five years. The statistics do not show cohabitation working at all. It doesn't work. Aside from the fact that enjoying the fruits and riches of marriage outside of marriage is called a sin, aside from that, the statistics are not in your favor, so don't bother. You want to have a happy marriage? Allow him to pursue you. If he doesn't pursue you, he's not the one. Because if he won't pursue you now, he's not going to pursue you then. 
Here's another point I want to share with you. If he's not willing to put down the hobbies to focus on his relationship with you, if he's not willing to say no to the bros, if he's not willing to put down the things that interest him to invest in you as the woman he loves, he probably does not love you. Every man who has ever loved a woman will build the Taj Mahal, launch a thousand ships, write poems. What you look through history, when a man loves a woman, he will do anything and everything. He doesn't ask for more time with his boys. He doesn't need more time for gaming. He doesn't need more whatever. You fill it in. When a man loves a woman, nothing will stop him from investing and pursuing that woman. If you find this a little rattling to your cage, wait a week or two. And don't get mad at me. Make the adjustment in your marriage that you need to make. But I'm not even talking to you yet. I'm talking to you if you're not married. If you're a Christian woman who cringes at the idea of, submissing, of, of being submissive to a man, your husband, you're not ready for marriage. You're just not ready. I'm not saying you won't get married. I'm saying you're not ready. If you go into marriage saying to yourself, it's going to be fine. He does whatever I want him to do now anyway. This is not going to work well for you. When I do premarital counseling, and if I do your wedding, it's required. We go through five or six weeks of topical discussions that are biblically founded to find out whether or not you think like a biblical woman and whether or not he thinks like a biblical man. Because if you don't, I'm not doing the wedding. And I don't mean that ugly. I just mean I want what is best for you and for the person you love. And if that means waiting six months or four months or five sessions, whatever the case might be, I want that for you because when you get married, I want you to have the most amazing marriage that has ever been experienced on the face of the earth. But you won't have that kind of marriage going into it with preconceived ideas that essentially says, the Bible says that to them, but not to me. If you aren't ready to be submissive to a husband, you're not ready for a biblical marriage. Well, there's a few things to think about if you're a single woman or if you're in a relationship. Now, for those of you who are married, let me share a few ideas with you as well. If you're ready, say amen. amen. Okay. Are we good still? All right. Don't make your husband's perfection a prerequisite of your obedience. Don't make your husband's perfection a prerequisite for your obedience. Your husbands do not justify your ungodly behavior. That's why your faith comes first. 
You don't obey or disobey God depending on how your husband is that day on the scale of one to 10. You obey God because obeying God is your obligation as a Christian. Now you can complain to your father in heaven about your husband all you want. And you can come to my office and we can do counseling and you can complain and ask about how can I work with this and work with that and how can we improve here or there and we will work and we will work and I will love to work with you. This is, this is what we do. But you cannot make your husband's perfection a prerequisite for your obedience. Jesus was perfectly obedient. That is done. Do not place what Jesus did for you on your husband. He will not succeed. I can tell you now. Do not make excuses through your husband for ungodly behavior. He may be wrong, but you can be wrong too. Here's another thing. Remember, no marriage has ever changed anybody. Let's see, I'm going to be 45 this year. So I was ordained when I was 20. So I've been doing ministry 25 years. I have never seen a marriage change anybody. Marriage does not change people. God changes people. And if you go into a marriage saying to yourself, he's got some of these quirks that I really don't like, but I'm going to work them out. I have another thing coming for you. That's not how it works. In fact, you can say amen to this if you want to. If you don't, I'll, I'll be okay. We'll just talk later. <laughs> in fact, marriage brings out the worst in people. You see what I'm saying? Marriage, you go, you, you, you get married. I remember when we first got married, I think we walked around naked for two years. And it was like to the day of two years, I came around the corner, I'm like, you're still here? Why are you still here? And there are other things that we have to come into contact with when it comes to marriage, ladies. Like, for example, when we don't have the things that we ought to have in priority in place and we get married, and that two years of fun, that honeymoon period is worn out, it comes to a close, and then you find yourself going, who is this person I married? I don't even like this guy. Shoes on the table, towel in the bathroom, like he's waiting on a towel genie every morning. Where's the coffee? I don't even like this guy. You go, who is it? But I'm going to share something with you that is even more distressing. You ready? What if after those two years and the honeymoon phase has worn out, you don't have those priorities in place? What if the realization that you have is more like this? Oh, my God. I got exactly what I asked for. That is true, too. And you might get in a situation where you go, I thought this was going to change things. No, marriage doesn't change people. God changes people. Remember that. Here's another point I want to share with you. 
Don't be the dragon. Ladies, don't be the dragon. Let me explain what I mean by that. For the woman he loves, a man will fight off an army, he will scale the walls, and he will slay the dragon. A man will overcome for the woman he loves any obstacle that he might face. But when you're the dragon, when you're the obstacle, I'm going to share something with you that your husband might not know how to articulate. In 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, Husbands, dwell with your wives with understanding. And I think in part what Peter is saying is this. We can't live with women we don't understand. If a man doesn't understand, a man will shut down and retreat into a cave. And then you'll be like, why don't you want to talk? Let's talk till three in the morning about this thing. We've only gone around the track twice. We have plenty more hours tonight to go around the track. And a man doesn't function like that. The man is saying, baby, I love you. But listen, I don't understand you. I mean, I know we're looking at the same thing, but we're coming at this thing from different angles. I don't understand. Even the scripture says a man must dwell with his wife with understanding. What I'm saying to you, lady, is I'm going to put it this way. Don't be the dragon. He'll do anything if he loves you. He'll do anything for you. He'll fight. He'll scale. He'll kill. But if you're the monster, it's not going to go well. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes we are the fault in our marriage. Sometimes the problem is we we are the problem. Let me share one last point with you, married ladies. To end on a positive. A wife has incredible influence in her husband's life. A wife has incredible influence in her husband's life. A healthy wife, and by healthy I mean a wife who is centered in her faith, whose mind is right about her life and God's calling in it. A healthy wife can make an okay man great and a great man greater. Don't put down this responsibility that God has given to you. That is your calling. Now, having said that, I'll say this. While that is true, and I believe it, an unhealthy wife can take a gifted, popular, loved and talented man and strip him until he's flat crazy. 
Johnny Depp, Will Smith. Those men have lost their minds because the women that they have chosen are crazy. They are popular, they are loved, they are liked, they are famous, they are rich, and they have lost their minds because they have everything that the world pursues, but the partner they chose for their life is eating them inside out. I want to end on a positive. Ladies, you have incredible influence in your husband's life. I know that not only because I believe the work of God through spouses for spouses, but I also believe that because there are wives who are sitting here who for a long time said, I wish my husband would come to worship. And here are the husbands. Now, I want to tell you, ladies, are you listening? Don't complain about what you don't have overlooking what you do have. If you've been asking God for something and God has delivered it to you, don't forget while you complain about what you don't have yet. Ask in faith, but never forget to be grateful for what God does. And I'll tell you this. God often doesn't work fast. God works slow. I know sometimes we want that light switch to be flipped and everything in our marriage to be different. But the pace at which God works is a pace that he chooses for your growth in grace. The amazing thing about what God does in our spouse's life through us is that when our spouse has been changed and we go, oh my gosh, look at how God has changed the spouse, we reflect upon our own life for a second. And you know what? He changed us too. Ladies, you have incredible influence in your husband's life. Now, it takes practice for sure, but more than anything else, it takes faith in the word of God and in the design of God and in the son of God. Amen? An unhealthy marriage is unhealthy because the Christians that are in the marriage are unhealthy. That's the way that works. If you're healthy, each of you, then you will have a healthy marriage. But if one is unhealthy or the other is tremendously more healthy than the other, we're going to see a difference in balance in the relationship. you got to come to terms with this reality. If your spouse is unhappy, they may have issues that need to be addressed in order for your marriage to be whole. But they might be unhappy because you're making them unhappy. Christianity is full of repentance and apology and forgiveness. Do not assume that the unhappiness of your spouse is their fault. If you are in the covenant of marriage, know that God expects you to be accountable to him just as much as he does your spouse to be accountable to him. The marital roles of a husband and a wife aren't designed to flourish in the most miserable environments no matter what. If you create a miserable environment in your home and in your marriage, you will have a miserable marriage. 
A healthy marriage is a marriage that exists between two healthy Christians, a wife who knows and loves Jesus and lives in the role that God has for her, and a husband who knows and loves Jesus and lives in the role that Jesus has for him. Ladies, if for some reason you have trouble submitting to your husband, if there's a dynamic in your relationship and you say, I love Jesus, I love my husband, but we can't make this work, I want you to know you're not alone. Marriage is not easy. And the Bible's way of doing marriage and the world's way of doing marriage are not the same. But we get inundated with that view and we get very little of this one. Call Patty, make an appointment. I will work with you and we will work together because I know what God's will is for your marriage. God's will for your marriage is joy and peace and contentment and satisfaction. Let me throw a couple other words that you probably have trouble with. Trust. Faith. Not faith like you have in Jesus, but faith in your spouse to always have your back and best interests. Here's another one. Forgiveness. Sometimes we're 12, 13 years into marriage, and we have not forgiven that thing from, and we can't figure out why our marriage won't continue on an upward trajectory. If you need counseling, call Patty and set it up. But don't live a miserable life. God has something in store for you, and a miserable marriage is not one of them. Ladies, submission to your husband means to take responsibility and initiative for your God-given role in the beautiful divine design of marriage covenant. <laughs> 